Welcome on into another edition of the Full Contact Podcast. You have myself, Sheree Phillips Keaton, along with my main man, as always, Nick Sapina. Nick, how are you feeling on this Friday night, man? Sharif, feeling pretty darn good. Um, unfortunately, our listeners don't have to actually experience this, but we just had some technical difficulties, uh, and it was kind of funny, but suffice it to say, I actually deleted our theme song, Sharif. It was a little bit tragic in the moment, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah, um, for those of you who don't know, uh, we obviously need some software to help us publish these podcasts. And we use Zencaster, but they've been recently making some updates, we, which we appreciate their effort in trying to improve their website. But now things are just getting jumbled up. But as has been 2020 and 2021, we just, I guess, have to learn to adapt. With that being said, we won't dwell on that anymore because I don't want Zencaster to send us any hate mail. Uh, we'll, we actually have some quick hitters for you. This week, so Nick will go into that. As he said, the soundbite is no longer with us at this time, so I'll just have to introduce that. But you know, still be the patented quick hitter segment. Then we'll get into the Russell Wilson talk because it seems like every day there's just something new that is added to the Seattle drama. Then we'll get into some NBA MVP discussion. Who is the MVP right now? As we say today, I say Joel Embiid. We'll see what Nick says and then go from there. And then the last topic, Sam Darnold and Drew Locke, since they're in similar situations of limbo with their respective teams. Sam Darnold's current GM, uh, Joe Douglas of the Jets, said that uh, he's now listening to offers on Sam Darnold but also downplayed the idea of trading for a star player. So we'll see if that impacts the Deshaun Watson uh, trade rumors. Before we get into all of that juicy content, Nick, without the soundbite, can you please give us your patented quick hitter segment? Sharif, I'd love to. I I have to apologize about the soundbite because it's just not quite as special. But jumping right in, the Detroit Pistons and Blake Griffin have agreed to a contract buyout. And at this very moment, it's believed that the Brooklyn Nets are the favorite for, to, to land his services. So something to monitor there. Um, LeBron James took Giannis Antetokounmpo first in the 2021 NBA All-Star Draft. And the Utah Jazz Stars went last. So a little bit sad for them. But they're still uh, the first in the West, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure they're happy about their position. And lastly, and this is kind of an interesting one, a study shows that less than 1% of pro athletes who were infected by COVID-19 also in, also developed some kind of inflammatory heart disease. So uh, that is promising research being done uh, with regards to COVID-19, Sharif. Definitely. And um, definitely wanted to point out that study. I know we haven't discussed much about COVID-19 on the show just because it's just part of life right now. So no need to really delve into it. But that study was interesting because at least it shows, especially what we see with the NBA, you know, games are pretty much getting postponed on a weekly or, you know, at least one per week is getting postponed because of the health and safety protocols and things of that nature. But it's good to know at least the athletes 
pretty much 99% of the time will recover without any lingering effects. Obviously, it's still a percentage that could, but at least it's encouraging that it's not um, as widespread as we thought. First, we'll get into the Russell Wilson talk because there's been a lot of it. Um, The last official update, at least from Russell Wilson's camp, was that, you know, there was talk of, you know, he went to management and I guess didn't ask for a trade, but said that if a trade was considered that he would only go to the Dallas Cowboys, New Orleans Saints, Las Vegas Raiders, and Chicago Bears. And things just seem to spiral on from there. So, Nick, just in general, when it comes to Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks, what is your reaction to this situation? I'm really surprised. Um, Russell Wilson, uh, I know that he's sort of polarizing. Uh, Some people are of the camp that the Seahawks are a better team when they let uh, Pete Carroll kind of run the show his way. You know, Pete Carroll loves to, to pound the rock, run the ball. And Russell Wilson, I mean, the report came out that basically where this whole difference comes from, I mean, first of all, he is, he is tired of getting hit, which we've talked about before. Like to some degree, the hits that he takes are on him, but uh, Russell Wilson basically views himself as one of the top quarterbacks of all time. And I'm not saying that Pete Carroll and the Seahawks don't see him approaching that stratosphere but i think they see him a little bit more as a facilitator like he is he's the point guard he's not necessarily the guy scoring all the points you know what i mean he, he's the assist guy so i think that russell wilson pretty much wants to be in a position where he can be the guy he can be the star of the show and run the team his way uh and really make the impact that he wants to so uh, there seems to be that disconnect there. And I'll be honest, I'm a little bit surprised that this that this exists. Like that there is such this uh, middle ground between Pete Carroll, the Seahawks organization, and Russell Wilson. Because, I mean, I don't have any numbers here necessarily to back it up, but pretty much since his rookie year, Russell Wilson has been top five quarterback in the NFL. He not he might not put up top five stats, but if you watch him and you understand the product that he is putting out, you know that he's playing the game at an elite level. So I'm a little bit confused. And at the same time, I'll also kind of play devil's advocate and say, Pete Carroll's brand of football also works. So I'm not 100% sure why Russell Wilson needs that, needs to, go against the grain and make it about himself. Now I am happy that the Seahawks seem to be handling this a little bit more maturely than say the Houston Texans, because a, a report I believe by ESPN's Diana Rossini came out that the Seahawks are actually taking calls. They're, they're answering the phone when teams are inquiring about trading for Deshaun Watson or excuse me, Russell Wilson. So um, it, it's getting really interesting and I'm starting to think more and more like there's a serious potential for a trade here. Um, I, I'll give my list of teams that I think actually have a chance at him, but I, I think that the Seahawks were really in a position where they could have said, look, 
Russell Wilson's our guy. That's it. You know, like Russell Wilson, when he voiced his frustrations about being hit, they asked him like, are you, are you going to be a Seahawk? And he said, I I don't see a reason why I wouldn't be. So I don't think that he's so unhappy with the organization that he would like force his way out. But now it's all developing so quickly. So I think that there is uh, starting to be some, some smoke as they say. Now, as for teams that make sense for him, I mean, Sharif, the teams that you mentioned, oh, and one more thing, he has a no trade clause. He's one of the very few players in the NFL who has a no trade clause. So if they got a trade from, let's say the Eagles, which, you know, that's totally hypothetical. There's nothing there (laughs) as it stands right now, but you know, totally speaking in hypotheticals, if it was the best offer that the Seahawks got, Russell Wilson could literally just say, nah. So he has that power to force his way to where he wants to go. Um, And of those teams that you mentioned, Sharif, the Saints, there is a path for him to get him. I'm going to be honest. The Saints have such cap issues. I don't understand the path to get him, but I have read that it exists. Um, So that is still a possibility. I think that when it's all said and done, their cap issues, uh, the trade value, I think it would be too hard to get it done. But they have like a 1% chance. Uh, the Cowboys, I think that they're still going the route of Dak Prescott. I think that they're still exploring that option. And I think that that should be the priority for them. Um, so I don't see them as a serious contender for Russell Wilson. Now, I think it gets really interesting between the Bears and the um, Raiders. And I think that those are the two most likely teams to possibly trade for him. And I think that my favorite would be the Bears. I think that the Bears have made it very clear that they feel like they're a quarterback away and they're going to sell out for that quarterback. And if they feel that Russell Wilson can put them over the top, that's the direction they're going to go in. I feel like they will stop at nothing. They'll trade the farm for him if they have to. So when it comes to the whole Russell Wilson situation, I mean, I think he just, at the core of it, he just wants the say that's supposed to come with being an elite franchise quarterback. At least the way we kind of, I mean, even though there are some elite quarterbacks who, after a while, the organization tries to take back control. For example, Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers will go down, probably will not go down as the GOAT, but one of the greatest to ever play. And, you know, Green Bay tried to take that power back last going into last season by drafting Jordan Love in the first round, and he was never even made active throughout the season. Um, but... And I mean, you know, and some of that just devolves into, you know, getting better pass protection or Russell Wilson having more say in personnel decisions. You know, all of that is understood. And I mean, there's various quarterbacks over time that have just been saying, like, you know, if I'm if the quarterback is the most viable position in the NFL, which it is, and not only am I a quarterback, but I am, say, a top five quarterback or even top ten. I should have more power than just go out there and play quarterback. And that's basically what I get from Russell Wilson, which I get. 
Um, now I would say he get he has a fair amount of power. As you said, he's one of the few players in the NFL that has a no trade clause, and it has been reported that he's had his hand in personnel issues or personnel decisions made before. But it just seems like maybe he's reached a boiling point because of how last season transpired. Let's not forget through say seven or eight games, Russell Wilson was the MVP. And it feels like we go down this road every season. Russell Wilson starts out the season hot as a tamale, you know, for the first four through eight games. And then at some point he comes back to the mean. And then, you know, that's where the whole let Russ cook movement comes from. And, you know, it looked like Seattle was going to follow through with it. And then I think week 10 or week 11 happened against Buffalo. And he had like four turnovers. And then I think the in the post game or maybe into the lead up to their following uh, game against the Arizona Cardinals, Pete Carroll basically said we need to run the ball more. And then from there, Russell Wilson's numbers across the board went down and so did his MVP chances. So I think Russell Wilson is just tired of not having more say in the offense which is also one of his – like, it's it's all these gripes, but I think ultimately it just comes down he feels like he should have more say in, in the organization, and I agree with him. Now, will Seattle do that? I don't know because at the end of the day, there's really two power structures in place. Pete Carroll, the head coach, and John Snyder, the GM, versus Russell Wilson. At the end of the day, the organization is going to pick – Especially someone like Pete Carroll and John Snyder, who have been pretty much great at their job since they were put in those positions. And so is Russell Wilson. But I think the organization is going to lean towards Carroll and Snyder as opposed to Russ. Now, the low trade clause definitely makes it where Russell Wilson, if he is traded, it will be somewhere he wants to go. So that's pretty much already taken care of. Now, as far as the four teams... I'd say the most likely team to acquire Russell Wilson would be the Bears because they don't have a quarterback. You know that saying, if you have two two quarterbacks, you have none. And Chicago currently has Mitchell Trubisky and Nick Foles, so essentially they have no quarterbacks. So they seem like the most likely to get him, and I'm pretty sure they don't have issues with like cap space or anything like that. Um, they don't have a high draft pick this year. Uh, they're picking number 20th, but I'm sure they're, they have enough cap room to fit Russell in. And I mean, you know, and actually I just came across this Chicago has never in its, I think the bears have been a franchise in the NFL for 106 years. They've never had a quarterback pass for more than 4,000 yards. So it already tells you how starved Chicago has been all of this time for a quarterback of Russell Wilson's caliber. So I think some of that provides that or that like Russell Wilson could legit be the savior that Chicago's been waiting for all this time, even after, you know, the monster of the Midway Bears, you know, and they've won Super Bowls before, but they've never had that quarterback. Now, the best situation for him would definitely be the Saints. Because they are the most ready to win a Super Bowl right here and now. The problem is, as you alluded to, (laughs) the Saints are projected 
to be between $65 million and $70 million over this year's salary cap. So just to put that in context, that's already an astronomical number. And it's going to require a lot of, you know, uh, players being waived or having their contracts restructured. The salary cap only dropped, I think, $20 million from where it was before because of obviously the COVID-19 pandemic. So even with that, the Saints would have projected to be over by 45 to 50 million. And we know, like you said, and you, you know, you said as a previous shows, they've been kicking this can down the road this entire time. Now the bills do. So they, they're, they be the best situation, but they're definitely the less likely to make it happen just because of all the hurdles in the way. Yeah. Um, I, I totally agree. Like I know, uh, there, there's somebody I follow. I think his name is Nick Underhill. He's like an independent beat writer for the Saints. And he's he's really, really good with the cap. He understands it much better than I do. And he broke down how the Saints could fit Russell Wilson under the cap. And I know that it's possible, but man, it's unlikely. Like, because <laughs> right. I mean, to get Russell Wilson, you're going to have to make so many other cuts. It, it would be, it would be, tricky and then that's not even factoring in what you would have to give up to physically acquire Russell Wilson. So Sharif, I'm going to pose a question to you because we've talked a lot on this show about, uh, you know, quarterbacks who are a little disgruntled, could be on the move, may not be on the move. We don't know, but let's say that Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson are both equally available. I mean, Russell Wilson isn't so old that you're so worried about contract. Like he's going to be able to play out his next contract at a high level. Which guy would you be more interested in acquiring? I'd be more interested in Deshaun Watson because of how young he is. And he's already, I mean, I would say Deshaun Watson in most people in most people's eyes is a top five quarterback already, and so is Russell Wilson. Um, but you know Deshaun Watson's you know a little bigger, a little stronger, and obviously Will, uh, Watson has had the injury issues that Wilson has not had up to this point. But Watson is much younger, so if let's say if the price they get Russell Wilson, let's say if you know Matthew Stafford got two first round picks. Mm-hmm. Russell Wilson is probably worth twice that. So let's say if I had to give up four first round picks and probably a player, I'd rather do that for someone like Deshaun Watson, who will be around for a lot longer, most likely, you know, according to the probability, than Russell Wilson. Not like I think Russell Wilson will, you know, get hurt like next year and won't play, but I just think like, you know, he's 32. Deshaun Watson's I think like 24 or 25. So already that's a seven-year gap. And, you know, Deshaun Watson has already been showing he could carry a franchise even when the GM trades his best wide receiver for, um, you know, an average to below average running back in David Johnson or trades the farm for a left tackle who is maybe top 10. But it's still really good in Larry Tunsil, but – and, you know, Russell Wilson has shown that he can do it, too. I just think, for me, it's the age and just what I've seen so far. I'd prefer Watson. 
Yeah, I think that I would probably do the same. Um, I think that Watson and I don't want to. I don't want to play this down like as Russell Wilson slander, but I really think that Watson is a game changer. And I'm not saying that Wilson's a game manager, but I think that you have to account for Watson in so many more different ways where Wilson. And again, I'm not trying to bash him. <laughs> I, I think that he <laughs> does benefit a little bit from the scheme that P Carroll runs. Definitely. Um, and obviously, like we've said, both guys are top five guys. So, I mean, even if you were, were to trade for Russell Wilson, it's not a bad trade, obviously. Right. The, also another hurdle is if the Seahawks trade Russell Wilson before June 1st, uh, they would incur $39 million of dead cap money. So I don't know what that number is if it's like a post-June 1st thing, because I know the number usually is significantly less, but that's probably still about $20, 25000000 million. So that's another reason why Seattle probably wouldn't want to do the trade. And like you said, I don't think Russell Wilson is so unhappy that Like, for example, I don't think he's reached the Deshaun Watson point where he's willing to sit out. Like, I don't think Russell Wilson is that displeased with the organization, but I think he's definitely displeased enough where he's starting to speak out in ways he hasn't before. So hopefully either the organization can start giving him some of the things he wants. I would say starting with, you know, I believe they started with giving him more power in the personnel decisions. Because reportedly that's why um, the Seahawks hired uh, offensive coordinator Shane Waldron was because Wilson endorsed him. So if that's the case, that's a good start. And maybe that'll satisfy Russell Wilson enough where he won't want to leave if you're Seattle. But we'll see if that's the case. You mentioned an interesting word, game changers. Well, we're actually going to get into a, a few guys that are literally changing the game for their respective teams. We're going to get into some NBA MVP talk. Without further ado, Nick, who at this moment, March 5th, 2021, 8.34 p.m. and 50 seconds, who is your NBA MVP if you had to vote today? Shreve, how can it be anybody other than Joel Embiid at this point? Like, I hate to sound like a homer. Like, I hate to come on to a show where we know that, you know, a big part of our audience is based out of Philadelphia. I don't want to sound like I'm just 100% pandering to what they want to hear, but Sharif, it's Joel Embiid. It just is. Uh, the dude is averaging 30.2 points on 52.1 field goal percentage. And I mean, you expect a big guy typically has a, a higher field goal percentage, but he's not just doing it all like within five feet of the rim. He's attacking from everywhere. He's shooting over 40% from three. Now his uh, three-point attempts are down this year, which is good. But I mean, he's just making you pay literally everywhere. And it, as much as you talk about his dominance on offense, which he is you know, incredible, he's been just as good on defense too. And then this doesn't really quite get into MVP, but then you pair that with Ben Simmons and his defense and whew, Sixers, uh, th- there's something. But I know that uh, it's basically at this point a two-horse race uh, between Joel Embiid and LeBron James. I mean, LeBron James is putting up around 25-8-8, a very typical LeBron James season, Um, ho-hum. But 
it just is it's just Embiid, man. You see every single center that he's going up against. He just went up went up against Rudy Gobert, and he made him look like a boy. He made him look like a little boy, and I am not saying that lightly at all. <laughs> he did the same thing to Miles Turner, who's a good defensive center. I mean, sheesh. It's just Dwell Embiid, man. I, I can't say it enough ways. It just is. Now, I agree with you. But just to mix, add some spiciness to this conversation, okay. I'm actually going to talk about someone else who definitely he won't win MVP. But man, if there was any guy, if there's any year to just have like a co MVP, this would be the year because Nikola Jokic for the Denver Nuggets has been amazing. And I know it sounds, you know, people, you know, you're listening to me, and and people are like, well, he's always been amazing. You know, we're used to that. The man is putting up 27 points a game, 11 rebounds a game, basically nine assists a game, two steals a game. You know, I'm rounding up some of these numbers. Uh, And Denver has one of the – I believe they have one of the better records in the Western Conference. Um, I didn't actually see the updated version of their uh, record. But, I mean, Nikola Jokic, he's just been on another level. And – it feels like we say this all the time, but the Denver Nuggets are 21 and 15. It's now it's sixth in the Western Conference, so nothing crazy. But I mean, with the numbers Nikola Jokic is putting up, it's just amazing. He put up, he now has 50 career triple doubles, nine from this season. So that means it's only him and Wilt freaking Chamberlain as the only centers in NBA history to have at least 50 triple doubles over a career. So, I mean, I mean, like I, I, like I said, I know Embiid is my MVP today. Jokic is number two for me, and Jokic won't win. But if there was ever a year to say have a co-MVP, give that co-MVP to Nikola Jokic. Let him and Embiid share it. That's my opinion. Yeah, I mean – I don't even know where to start with Nikola Jokic because he's just different. Like his <laughs> style of basketball is different, man. Like when you watch Joel Embiid, you've seen it before. Like you have seen Hakeem Olajuwon, you've seen Shaq. But when you watch Nikola Jokic, it's like who's the least athletic person who's ever played in the NBA? Uh, I don't know. It might be Nikola Jokic. It seriously <laughs> might be because like he's, he's not, he doesn't look like he's in physically good shape. He does not look like a guy who should come out and drop a 30 piece on you. And the next thing you know, he's dropping threes. He's making crazy behind the back passes. He's definitely, he's a different breed wherever they found this guy. Like I, I believe he was a second rounder when he was drafted. Um, Yeah. Nikola Jokic is amazing. I know that at this point it's, I mean, the big three in centers are basically Joel Embiid, Anthony Davis, and even he's kind of debatable as he really more of a power forward. Uh, but he also does, does play center. And then Nikola Jokic. And they're all, like, very different. And, you know, you're right. Nikola Jokic doesn't quite get enough uh, credit. Yeah, it's it's actually incredible when you look at what Nikola Jokic is doing. And even if you watch him play, because like you said, I mean – 
there have been more unathletic guys, but not by much. Like Nicole Jokic isn't he's not blowing by anybody. He's not dunking on anybody. He's not crossing you up. He's not I'm just trying to think of things like even average athletic big men can do. He's not doing any of that. He's just taking what you give him on defense. He'll he'll pick and roll, he'll pick and pop. He'll shoot the jump. He'll do all the things like when you're unathletic and you have to be skilled, Nikola Jokic is like that times 10. Like he can't do anything athletically, <laughs> but he can do everything, but he can do everything. And I will say this, Nikola Jokic is more athletic than he gets credit for. But like, it's kind of like if you ever seen like Larry Bird, like Larry Bird kind of just like, you know, waltzes around the place, but somehow he gets two steals a game, but it's just, He's one of those guys, like, because he's so unathletic, he has to think faster than everybody else. And obviously the skills help that to happen. So it's just watching Nikola Jokic do what he does, do what he does for the Nuggets is just incredible. And like I said, Embiid's my MVP as well. But if there was ever a year to have a co-MVP, Nikola Jokic fits that bill. Uh, for our last topic today, and this was – for those of you who don't know, completely requested by Nick because I'm done talking about the Jets. I just don't want to – I don't want to cause any more slander on this podcast. And Adam Gaze isn't even there anymore, and I still want to talk about Adam Gaze. But you know what? This was a topic brought on by Nick, and I'm actually interested in it because, you know, it's a polarizing situation. Um, but for those of you who don't know, uh, earlier this week, uh, New York Jets GM Joe Douglas basically said in so many words that he's open to trade offers for Sam Darnold and while also downplaying the idea of trading for a star player such as Deshaun Watson. So, Nick, what was your reaction to Douglas's comments about the whole situation? I I feel like we just learned a lot about what is going to happen with the New York Jets and how they're going to approach this offseason. Now, I think that they're being genuine in that they're not going to approach, uh, you know, a Deshaun Watson trade or anything like that. But I think that they, they're basically saying, like, look, we believe in Sam Darnold. We believe that there is talent there. But we also. We think that it might be better somewhere else, like he has that, quote unquote, untapped potential. and. You know, just thinking about that commercial reminds me, or just thinking of that phrase reminds me of some like Pinocchio commercial. <laughs> do, do you recall what I'm talking about? Yeah. Okay. Wait, All right. I just wanted to make sure. You have potential. Exactly. Oh, <laughs> I see no room and I see nothing but untapped potential. But, yeah. <laughs> but no, um, seriously, uh, I think that they're basically looking at this situation. They're like, look, we would like to hit the reset button on our quarterback situation. It seems like the Jets are pretty sold on uh, Zach Wilson, and that's a debate for another day. But I think that they're just looking to recoup, recoup whatever they can get for Sam Darnold, which, I mean, maybe it's a second-round pick. Maybe it's a third-round pick. He's still on a rookie contract. So uh, a team could very well take a chance on him, a team like, the 49ers or uh, the Washington football team. And they wouldn't have to give up a whole lot, 
but I, I really just feel like when a team comes out and says, Hey, look, we're, we're listening. We're, we'll take the, the calls. We'll hear what you're willing to offer. And they're in a position where they can get one of the top quarterbacks in the draft. I just feel like the writing's on the wall where pretty much before these comments, um, you know, people didn't really know what direction the Jets were going to go in. Were they going to draft an offensive lineman? Were they going to go with uh, Pine, Pine, Suell? Um, Were they going to go with uh, maybe Devonta Smith or Jamar Chase or something like that? Um, so I feel like this was them tipping their hand saying, hey, come give us the best offer. We're going to take it. We're going to take the best offer. We're going to move forward in the draft. We're going to get a quarterback. We're going to get our guy under this new uh, administration under, under uh, Robert Sala. So I think that that is basically the direction the Jets are going in. Yeah, these comments, they weren't surprising because obviously if those of you who remember at the 2019 trade deadline, um, Joe Douglas basically said he'd listen to offers on anyone else except Sam Darnold. And then obviously as this season went on, you know, that talk, it was kind of like how the Rams sounded about Jared Goff. Like when they gave him his contract, they were like, yeah, this is our guy. He'll lead us to Super Bowls, plural, for the next few years. And then the end of the season comes and they're like, yeah, he's our quarterback for right now. You know, he's our guy for now. That's how the Saints, sorry, the Jets are talking about Sam Darnold. And it's just funny because it sounds like the situation happens a lot now. It happened with Carson Wentz. It happened with – I don't want to say it happened with Matthew Stafford. That was more or less just a mutual parting because Stafford just wants to go to a better situation and Detroit just wants to have a full rebuild. It happened to Jarrett Goff. Um, I mean, you know, these if, teams are – If I oh, yeah, may, but, even with Wentz, though, the Eagles were saying that they didn't want to trade him, you know, at least for the longest time. It got to a point where it became known that the Eagles would trade him because the situation was so irreparable. But they even tried to downplay the situation. And, I mean, Wentz had a historically bad year. Right. And some of this, obviously, like, some of what teams say is, and I've seen this word pop up a lot, like, posturing. Like, sure, like what the Texans are doing with Sean Watson. Like, we are not ever trading it. We won't consider it. But I'm sure in the background, they're like, please, give us your best offer. We want this done, like, today. But, you know, in the media, like, I think there was one thing Joe Douglas said, and it kind of startled me. Oh, quote, as it pertains to Sam, we think Sam is a dynamic player in this league with unbelievable talent. This is by Joe Douglas. Quote, he really has a chance to hit his outstanding potential moving forward, but if calls are made, I will answer them, unquote. So that's a statement where it's basically like, an example of posturing or as the cool kids like to say, talking out of both sides of your mouth, like in one breath, you're basically making Sam Dart out to be this great quarterback. But in the next breath, you're like, yeah, even though I just settled that I'll still take calls. So it's like, you're still trying to keep up his value, which is understandable. Like you definitely don't want to diminish his value, at least not by your own hands. If I'm the Jets, I mean, you definitely want to try to trade Sam Darnold. I would try to get Deshaun Watson. I would do whatever it takes, as we've we already talked about in the segment about Russell Wilson. 
I would if I'm the GM of the Jets, I'm doing everything it takes to get uh, Deshaun Watson. The Jets have two first round picks this year and two first round picks next year. Take it all, take it all, whatever it takes to get Deshaun Watson. Now, obviously, Deshaun Watson I think also has a no trade clause, so he would also have to be willing to go to the Jets. But let's say if he was, take 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 everything, take the whole farm. I don't even care. Just get Deshaun Watson here, but. Obviously, the way you like you were saying and the way Joe Douglas is saying is that the Jets want to build through the draft. So it looks like they're still in a rebuilding type of mode. So it looks like most likely they'll trade Sam Darnold probably for draft picks and maybe young players. And then, like you said, take uh, Zach Wilson with the number two overall pick, which is still fine. Like that's still a good path moving forward. Right. For me. I would just like to go after Deshaun Watson, but you know me, even in our fantasy football leagues, I'm a win now kind of guy. So <laughs> yeah, but, the, the Jets might be a little far away to win now, but I do understand what you're saying. Like you try to get the best player that's on the table. Right. Now this also goes into recent comments made by uh, Denver Broncos GM, George Patton about uh, Drew Locke. Basically. And I mean, you know, I could read these quotes, but we're, I want to let Nick talk. But basically, they were saying that Drew's job isn't 100% set. You know, it's kind of the same thing. Like, okay, he's our guy moving forward. You know, all the stuff that at least you don't, like, incite a quarterback controversy. But it sounds like everything's on the table. So, Nick, what is your reaction to the recent comments about Drew Locke? I, I literally take it the exact same way as the Sam Darnold situation. Like Drew Locke, um, I don't think it's unfair to say like you have seen the flashes from Drew Locke. You've seen the arm talent, the ability to make off-platform throws. He can, I hate saying it, I hate saying these words, but he can quote unquote make all the throws. You know what I mean? It's become a very cliche uh, saying for quarterbacks. But he can, like, he's one of those guys. He can do the Aaron Rodgers level of things. It's just, there is no level of consistency. I mean, Drew Locke frequently has uh, what what appears to be like mental lapses on the football field. And now it's reported that they're going to be bringing in some competition for him. So uh, I, I definitely think that the Broncos are one of those teams that are in a position where they can they can be close to winning now. Like I think that they could actually be a playoff team if they did land someone like Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson. But um, I, I think that they have realized that. And until they have a quarterback that they feel puts them over the top, which Drew Locke hasn't shown that uh, capability to this point. Um, I think that they're kind of open to moving on. Uh, should that opportunity present itself? Yeah, I, I think I think Drew's comments or the comments about Drew Locke are actually a little less optimistic than the Jets are about Sam Darnold. Because at least, you know, at least with the Jets, they've maintained at least what they've been saying that, you know, Sam Darnold, they have no doubt about his talent, but it just looks like something's not working out there. For the Broncos, it doesn't sound like they're even saying – they believe Drew Locke has all of that. It just sounds like, especially when they're talking about 
And these are actually some quotes from George Patton, their uh, GM that was hired uh, this offseason. So I guess I am going to read a quote. But basically, he said, George Patton said, I did a deep dive with Drew, very talented, was inconsistent at times, has a lot to work on. But I've spoken with Drew. He really wants to be great. We're going, we're always going to bring in competition every position, quarterback as well. But I like the track Drew's on. He does have all the traits you look for in a quarterback. So just with that comment, it just sounds like they're less enamored with Drew Locke as the Jets are with Sam Darnold. And I think it's probably more likely than not that Drew Locke doesn't end up being the quarterback going into 2021. Um, It looks like they'll probably, like you said, either trade for an established guy like Deshaun Watson or Russell Wilson. And they don't have a high draft pick, I don't believe, or at least high enough to get like, you know, obviously not like Trevor Lawrence, but maybe not even high enough to get like Justin Fields or Zach Wilson. But it seems with the competition quote, they definitely want to put Drew Locke in the hot seat to see if he can stand the fire. So it they're definitely in very similar situations. It just seems like Sam Donalds is more optimistic, at least with if you go by the quotes by the decision makers. So, right, um, yeah, I definitely think that they're uh, pretty similar. And you know, in our group chat where we pretty much talk about football, we've definitely had some strong opinions as it pertains to Drew Locke. So uh, he's definitely a pretty polarizing guy. Definitely. And I, I guess one last thing, because also, and I mean, this is actually, this is some fantasy football talk. As you said, with the inconsistency, Drew Locke only really played well against the terrible teams, which I mean, is a narrative that I think people need to just say, like, obviously, whoever X player is, if they're playing a team that's bad at defense, they have a better chance to perform. That's just the way things go. But Drew Locke, whenever they played even a decent team, he was nowhere to be found. And I think that's where the Broncos are like, okay, unless we can see some significant improvement this se- this offseason, they're definitely going to look to bring someone in either to take Drew Locke's job or to make him fight like hell for it. Uh, Nick, before we go, uh, anything else you want to say? Hmm. Well, one last comment on the Drew Locke situation, and it's real quick. If I had to bring in one guy to provide some competition, if I actually have hope for Drew Locke moving forward, Ryan Fitzpatrick, I think that he's the guy because I mean, seriously, like he, he could win that job for a year and maybe you give Drew Locke the opportunity to uh, learn under him a little bit and see how he operates. But also I, I, I like Fitz, Fitz magic, but you have to, acknowledge that sometimes he is fits tragic. If he's not good, you still have drew Locke. So, I mean, he could literally, uh, if Cortland, if Cortland Sutton comes back and is healthy, he could actually make that team like not a good, uh, playoff contender, but he could sneak them into the playoffs. It, it wouldn't be pretty, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely. I could see the Broncos being a wild card that I mean, they would have no choice because I believe they're in the AFC West. And I think that's the same division as the Chiefs. So they're definitely not getting the playoff spot outright. 
as long as I have my conferences right, I think that's how the conferences break down. Uh, yes, AFC West. So they're never making the playoffs outright. So yeah, I can see them being a wild card team. Uh, for yeah. me, very interesting quarterback carousel we're gonna ha- we're already having, and we're going to continue to have this summer. I will I will say one thing, and we've talked about this with regards to our dynasty football league. I really hope Jameis is the next starting quarterback for the New Orleans Saints because, man, I mean, I know the guy, as Stephen A. Smith would say, put the new meaning in for 30 for 30. But Jameis Winston needs to be a starter somewhere, man. I'm sorry. That's just that's just me. I'm 100% with you, and I know that our good friend Brian uh, feels a little bit differently about Jameis Winston. Uh, but the way I see it, you're looking at the NFL, and there's like – there's like 14 quarterbacks out there right now who have a job, like who are 100% guaranteed they have a job. And I mean, that means you have 18 quarterback positions to fill. And I'm, I'm totally like throwing that number off the top of my head. There's going to be movement. There's going to be more jobs filled, but there should be a place for Jameis Winston. I'm not saying that he's going to be a top five quarterback. I'm not even saying he's going to be a top half quarterback. He might be below average. I don't know. But I do think that he's one of the 32 best quarterbacks in the NFL. I think that he should have a place. Maybe that's with the Washington football team. Maybe that's, you know, on the worst team in the NFL. I don't know, man. (laughs) But I think that he should have uh, a starting gig. Agreed. And as always... You know, Nick always gives us our shameless uh, plug. You can follow us at uh, Full Contact Pod. I'll try to take his place for once with that. Uh, For Nick Sapina, I'm Sharif Phillips Keaton, and we'll see you next time. All right.